0: Welcome back to Prognosis Ohio, I'm Dan Skinner. With all the challenges facing Ohio communities, and as this show makes clear, there are many, how can we best care for our community and each other while we continue advocating for large-scale change? River Valley Organizing, the only organization doing harm reduction work in the Ohio River Valley from East Liverpool to Portsmouth, places that question at the heart of its services. For listeners who may not know, the U.S. Substance Abuse and Mental Health Services Administration, or SAMHSA, defines harm reduction as an approach to health that emphasizes engaging directly with people who use drugs to prevent overdose and infectious disease transmission, improve the physical, mental, and social well-being of those served, and offer low-threshold options for accessing substance use disorder treatment and other healthcare services. With a mission of building each other up for a better Ohio, River Valley Organizing centers the community itself in all of its organizing work, including drug policy and harm reduction, environmental justice, criminal justice, and civic engagement. This week, I speak with Nancy Woods and Michael Guggenauer, organizer with River Valley Organizing, about their community-centered approach to building power and responding to pressing issues. Before turning to my interview, just a quick reminder to please check out our show notes at prognosisohio.com, where you'll find a slew of links and other information pertaining to today's show. And while you're in there, check out our archive of past episodes. If you're so inclined, and we'd appreciate it if you were, you can also find out how you can support the show. Finally, though I tend to bury this at the end of the show, I'm going to move this up this time. We do love to hear from our listeners. Please be in touch if you have ideas for guests, themes, or suggestions about improving the show generally. And also, I want to note that some of the audio in this interview is a bit rough as we had some difficulty with the remote equipment. This is something that we hope to continue to do better with on the reboot, but I hope you'll agree that it doesn't detract too much from the important things we talked about. Okay, now to my conversation with Nancy Woods and Michael Guggenauer of River Valley Organizing. So, I want to start uh, with something that happened the other day. Uh, you know, and Nancy didn't know I was going to start this way, but Nancy and I were about to jump on the computer and kind of test out our equipment, and she was delayed because there was a situation in the neighborhood. You know, and, and she was worried that hey, it might be one of the people we work with, right? Now, I don't need to know this situation, but, you know, it was really helpful to me to kind of see the world you're working in a little bit in real time. So I'd like to start asking you, Nancy, what's it like being in the trenches of, of helping folks with addiction, you know, when it's so ongoing, so hard, so personal, but also how do you take care of yourself? How do you take care of yourself, you know, day to day doing that kind of work?
1: Um, I just have to go home and pray at, at night and pray in the morning before I wake up and just do what I do. You know, I'm best when I'm when I'm out here in the trenches. I, I just feel like that's my passion and, and that's my self-interest. And that's my goal to make this community a better place. And I'm not going to um abandon my people that need me.
0: So, so in many ways, you know, substance use disorder continues to ravage Ohio, of course, and our region, um, you know, and stigma and silence obviously remain problems. You know, we've been talking though, when you think about it openly and actively for a while now, you know, a lot of people knew about Sam Canonis' book in 2015, man, that was actually quite a while now. And people have been talking about, you know, Portsmouth and Southeastern Ohio and, and, and these issues. So I'd like to ask you, and maybe even start with Nancy, where do you think our where where are we with our understanding of substance use disorder in your area and the areas you work with? Have we gained any ground? Are we right where we were? Has, is it just different in some way? Um, first of all,
1: here, it's about money. Everybody is money driven um, on this side of the river valley. It sucks because you're bringing people in that are not ready to be brought in. You know, um, it has to be a, I want to get clean situation. Um, but we're trying to counteract that with the, we're going to meet you where you're at.
0: When you say it's about money, do you mean, are Are you talking about the fact that there's, you know, the, the sale of drugs and the kind of the markets out there are just flowing everywhere? No, I'm talking
1: about the court systems. I'm talking about the treatment facilities You know, there are people who are not ready to and they're being forced to do something that they're not ready to do. And what happens when you go into a facility and you're there for a substantial amount of time and you come out and you want to go back to using, then there is that big risk that you could die, you know, um, and
0: and overdose. And that's not what we want to see. Right, Michael, is that kind of a similar experience, or do you, you know what's your what's your take on that general question?
2: Yeah, uh, the the prison industrial complex is set up against uh, race and uh, economics. You know, poor communities are and BIPOC communities are just uh, polluted to an extent where, like, over years of time. You have big chemical companies getting rich and uh, gas and oil companies getting rich, polluting like small towns. Uh, small town Ohio is something that is like not uh, really experienced in other places because there's like rural or there's suburbs or there's metropolitan or small town. You know what I mean? There's, there's little tiny towns that are all within, you know, a stone's throw of each other that all have different opinions and different structures. And it's just, uh, you know, it's different. So the municipalities can only do so much. Uh, that's where we come in and we kind of fill that gap.
0: So let's start, you know, let's dig with you, Michael, for a minute here. You know, I understand that you're um, River Valley Organizing's environmental organizer, and I'm really interested in the intersection between harm reduction, you know, substance use disorder and thinking about environment. Um, let's start with the big picture here. How are these things related? I mean, ha- how is the work you do with harm reduction also about environmental work? so environmental
2: is uh the key to everything because if you have uh, a good environment around you uh then cancer rates are down and things like learning disabilities are down uh where communities like ours have like really high rates of like cognitive disorders learning disabilities certain specific types of cancers that are rare everywhere else so there's definitely a connection scientifically obviously those kinds of studies can't be like 100 proven uh so what we do is we just try to find the ones polluting now Uh, And we just go after, you know, the ones that we know we can save, like today, because, you know, 40 years ago, the pottery companies in East Liverpool are all out of business, nobody can go back and hold them accountable. Um, But, you know, for generations, uh, people go through poverty, it's been an economic decline for almost 40 years.
0: Yeah, and you you see that kind of the, the, the discussion about poverty is wrapped up in a broader, I mean, it's a very big view to take. And obviously with climate change, it's becoming very local now. It started very global, you know, an ozone hole somewhere over Australia. But now we're talking about neighborhood community level health. Do you think that, you know, uh, the people you talk with see the way those pieces get fit together or is this kind of like something that the experts have to do so to speak i'm
2: actually glad you asked that question because like we're actually just a vehicle for the people of wherever we go like in my campaign in wellsville ohio i go to the people and ask them what they want so we're actually looking for people that align with what we think that is going wrong and make sure that they feel the same way and they take the narrative and they take it from that point on and uh, we just kind of just guide people in the right direction
0: so let's turn to Nancy. I, I want to, you know, we, we've learned a lot over the last few years about how poorly funded public health systems are in Ohio, and we've also learned about institutional racism, the massive disparities. Every once in a while, we'll get some good news that you know um, some outcomes improved. But usually within those outcomes, you have racial and ethnic disparities that are getting worse, right, within them. So the story is always is always twofold and more complicated than maybe some people want it to be. You know, an article published in The Dispatch talked about how River Valley organizing works mostly outside of the local health departments. And I was interested in that because the health departments we hope can help us or be there to support certain work, but that's not how you do your work. So tell me a little bit about the, the, the approach you take um, and, and how you work in relation to the, like the kind of formal institutions we have in Ohio for better or worse. Um, okay. So just for
1: instance, the situation that happened the other day, you know, I wanted to make sure that those young ladies weren't in danger that I was looking for. I wanted to make sure that they were alive and well, because they pitch tents in backyards. So I can't get a narrative or I can't ask somebody, what do you need or what do you love? Or, you know, that conversation inside of the building. I have to go out of the building because it's, it's like a ministry. It's like a ministry within itself because I'm here to help the community. And I'm here to find out what they want and what they need and, and to help push them to building their own power. I'm just the vehicle. Like um, Goog said, I'm just a vehicle. You know, um, that's that's where the work is at though in the communities where poor whites and, and Blacks are being you know, criminalized because of what they look like. This River Valley is Confederate. The judicial system is Confederate. The medical system is Confederate. Um, it's very racist and prejudice for those who are in active use. Um, definitely in the Black community and in the poor white community. And it
0: has to stop. So, M- Michael, you shared with me, you know, that you have direct experience. You have a, a past of with you know, substance use disorder and being wrapped up in the criminal justice system and all that. When you think about the difference between community organizing, sort of working directly with people where they are, as opposed to some of the resources that are supposedly out there in our state. How do you think about you know, the difference between community-level organizing and what we might demand or expect from, let's call it, the state in this case?
2: Organizing is really just about finding a need within the community and being able to provide that need where you know, the government or state level, whatever level, uh, authority just doesn't have the capacity or doesn't believe that it's something that needs done. Um, in our case, like harm reduction is big because there's really, really high level, uh, uses of like syringes for heroin and things like that. Uh, in our Portsmouth office, Nancy fills that with the, uh, exchange that we have there, uh, in our office, we pass out Narcan, uh, at least, you know, we try to inform people and educate people about it because most people say, oh, no, I don't want to have an association with it. We're like, no, we aren't asking you to have it because we think you, you use. We're asking if you want to have the ability to save a life. Yeah. And a lot of people look at you like, oh, shit.
0: <laughs> like,
2: yeah, but yeah, I'll take some of that.
0: Yeah, I remember when we were going around the state, my, my colleague and I talking to folks around about the opioid uh, crisis for this book that we had published, which was a book of stories, right? It aligns pretty well with how I think you all think about this, which is we need real stories of real people. It, we had heard multiple times of kids, you know, going to various institutions requesting Narcan. And at first they were sort of branded as drug seekers. Oh, they're going to have parties. No, what they were doing is they were preparing to help their parents in these cases, right? And these were smart kids, right? These were kids who were preparing. So like these kinds of moments really flip the narrative for us. And unless you take the time to to, to hear the stories, you're never going to know that.
2: Yeah. It has to be in your backyard. That's what we figured out. Yeah. Once it reaches your backyard, you know, then the feelings start to
1: change. That's what we're dealing with. with down here, especially with a lot of it's not in my backyard, it doesn't concern me, but it does because you're making executive
0: decisions for a community and for a city that
1: is in dire need of help.
0: Yeah, it's amazing to me that we haven't gotten that very basic message that this is about you. This is not just about something that could happen to some distant person, but this is in your community, this is in your street. This is people who are racially and ethnically like you and different from you. Like this is everywhere and and of course affluent folks have had to wrestle with the fact that this isn't just about poor folks as they kind of often were want to assume or at least to pretend at, at a, another point of of how we talked about addiction. So it's my understanding that River Valley Organizing was the first organization to take over a syringe exchange program from a health department. I find that fascinating, again, because so much of the world that I tend to operate in is trying to empower health departments and push them to do the thing. But you guys are just like, no, let us take this thing over. You're now trying to expand the syringe uh, program exchange program to other areas, which is awesome. Now, for listeners who might not know uh, you know some Ohioans still consider syringe exchange as controversial even though the public health data is really really clear these things save lives right the, this is not controversial when you actually look at what we know about it uh, let me ask you Nancy to start uh, why was it important that you know in the in your case that you you that you do Kind of take this program as part of one of the things you're doing, but also why is it important that people with a history of using drugs staff these programs, that they be involved with them? Like, what what is the benefit, the specific benefit of that?
1: Um, there's so many different benefits, but um, the partnership, it was a partnership with the health department because we wanted to know what people needed. We want to know what people love about their community, where they need resources, how they need help and their testimonies, you know, um, of, you know, living a life in active use and not having what you truly need. So we brought that here to River Valley. And so that's how that happened. And then um Just to answer your other question, there's HIV out here, there's AIDS out here, there is um, Hep C out here, there are STIs, there are STDs, and all of these things are bloodborne pathogen diseases that you can pass through intravenous use. So why are we going to keep spreading these things around to people When our folks can come in, get some clean syringes, um, get those things that they need, get that wound care and and all of those other things. and, And then build that relationship to be able to build that narrative with them and to build that power with them. This is for them. This is not about us. This is for them.
0: Now, Michael, when you have conversations with folks about about harm reduction, syringe exchange being one piece of that, do you see movement here? I mean, are are people starting to get the point or are there just some people who are so dug in that you got to just kind of work around them?
2: It's both. Actually, yeah, there's so many people that are just dug in and you can tell that they're not going to change their point of view. But it's it's really the news talking or somebody else that's in their life talking. You know what I mean? It's not a lot of times when you speak logic to somebody about an issue that's so completely identifiable uh, you know, they're kind of deer in the headlights, you know, they don't want to admit that they've been wrong their whole life.
0: Have you learned uh, you know, or, or uncovered any approaches that work better than others when you're having conversations with people to get them to understand this?
2: Um, I just, it's it's a, such a big misconception where the stigma comes from in the first place um, because everybody thinks that it's like a, a, everybody that's on the other side thinks that there's like a a tax on the public for it, but it's actually the opposite. You know, we're the ones paying the the, uh, backlash on the insurance when uh, people don't pay their hospital bills. You know what I mean? They're going to go lose an arm and cost a lot more than just uh, a little, you know, small exchange that maybe is a little bit controversial to some people who have never experienced addiction.
0: Yeah. How about you, Nancy? I mean, have you found things that work better than others or ways to have these conversations that are more persuasive and actually get people to see what it is you're trying to get them to see?
1: Well, you always have your allies and then you have your enemies. And um, those are the people, the enemies are just the people that you walk away from because you're never going to open their eyes and they're always going to be blinded to the fact that this is truth and this is real life. But because it's not in your backyard doesn't mean that it doesn't exist. Um, we always have to look at, The world for what it is. There are many different situations and scenarios. And just because it's not affecting you, it is affecting you. Um, And just, I mean, sitting down and, and just saying, you know, how can I help you? What do you need today? And listen, listen to my folks.
0: here we are, you know, on these damn computers, right, talking to one another. I wish I could be with both of you, but you're both in different parts, uh, places. So actually, this helps us. But a lot of the work you do is so simple in the sense that you're just there with actual people in the community, on the street, going to where they are. It, It sounds so simple, but it actually turns out to be something we just don't do that much of. In our state. What what have you learned from actually being physically in the space with people who I mean, I'm guessing every situation has some common threads and that every situation is also totally unique?
2: I don't think anybody that I know thinks that I do the same thing. <laughs> it's hard to explain because every day can be different, but then you can have very monotonous weeks where you're leading up to something and it's just kind of moving the needle a little bit towards a, a goal or an event and then you could have multiple events. And for multiple reasons, uh, we do like the environmental thing that I usually lead. And then we have another organizer who does uh, police oversight over here uh, in East Liverpool where there's been a lot of negative interactions where police officers have done uh, some things that they've gotten fired for. So there's like a couple things going on and we all just kind of help each other out. And then we've got our other office of Portsmouth that Nancy runs. Um, for me,
1: I-, I just love them. I- I just have a heart that loves and they feel that love and they look at me and they be like, you don't know what I'm going through. And i be like, "Um, yeah, I do. I just look like this today, 13 years later, I just look like this, but I know everything that you are going through. And I know the things that are happening in your life and the trauma that is in your life. And when you're ready, I'm here for you.
0: No, I mean, basic empathy goes a long way in public health. Uh, we've been through a couple of years with this pandemic, where uh, you know we had we had some empathy, we had little flashes of empathy here and there, but we had a lot of nastiness and just people kind of digging in. And um, you know, when I think about where we are with the pandemic everybody was talking about the opioid crisis including myself until march 2020 and then all of a sudden it disappeared from from the the world of media and all of that and then finally you know 6 months later you start to see people coming back being like hey maybe we lost focus on this and it's probably the case that people are suffering a lot so there's also just like the focus or the limited attention span we have oftentimes as a state as a county as a country is there any low hanging fruit in terms of what cities, counties, states could do to make your lives just that much easier, you know, because you know, some of the heavy lifts that are out there and then we don't expect them to come over tomorrow, but are there some small things that could make a big difference in people's lives?
2: I think if people just paid attention to the right, uh, the right time at voting, pay attention to who you're voting for. I mean, it's going to, you know, you actually have to go out and get numbers, uh, if people would actually go out and do the numbers and vote, I think only like 20 or 30% of people actually go out and vote if we had 50, 60, 70% of people voting, you know, I think we would have a lot better
1: results. Not for me, it's not just the votes, but to sit down and have those conversations and talk about the systemic racism and talk about the black racism here in this um, town and just get rid of the ignorance. Get rid of the ignorance and take the wool off of people's eyes. Definitely educate them and make them aware of the space that they're in. You know, and, and like you said, it disappeared. It did not disappear here. When COVID came in, it got worse. And they were using COVID, they were using COVID for those overdose bodies. And they were collecting money. And I can say that because I'm not scared to. Um, but it got worse here. We, we had so many deaths. So it never disappeared here.
0: You've called for Senators Portman and Brown to support the MAT Act, which stands for Mainstreaming Addiction Treatment. And I wanted just to pause on this for a minute. Obviously, Senator Portman is on his way out right at the end of the year. Uh, we are in the middle of a Senate race. We don't have to really get into that other than we all know it and we kind of know where the different candidates stand on, on, on their philosophies of addiction. Um, but can you tell us a little bit about, you know, what is the MIT Act um, and, and how, how would it actually impact the lives of people in the Ohio River Valley? I mean, what, what are some of the pieces just for listeners who may not know anything about it? Um, so it was a collaborative
1: of cohort Organization cohorts and people that have been in the lifestyle came together and put some words on a piece of paper to um, appease the legislators in the Senate. It, the Senate and but it's the real true facts. It's the uncut version of everything that we all put in together, have gone through, and why it's important for MAT. It's very important because I have seen people live their best lives on Suboxone, uh, Buprenorphine. Um, I've seen people live their best lives long-term, short-term. Um, I've seen it happen. Methadone. I've seen people live their best lives. Let, let people live. Let them have a life in them while they're here and let them thrive. Not because they're homeless or let's give them jobs. You know, MAT will help people get jobs because when you do a drug screen and, and there's that buprenorphine there, then, then it's excused as opposed to if there's FETI in your system or there's heroin in your system or there's methamphetamine in your system. You cannot get a job. Let these people learn how to be stable and have a life and stop tearing their kids away. Let's reunite the families
0: and help everyone. Michael, what do you like about the MAT Act? I don't
2: know how to follow that. Nancy did such a good job explaining it. Uh, so, yeah, they, some some people in East Liverpool don't have access to a vehicle. I mean, there's doctors that you can get, like, the uh, subscriptions for prescriptions for – uh, miles and miles away, but people just don't have access to that. Uh, the MATX would, you know, would actually bring uh, hope to a lot of people in East Liverpool and our surrounding area. Because uh, without it, I mean, we're all that's left. We're it. We're it for 250 miles from uh, East Liverpool, where the panhandle is uh, of West Virginia meets Pennsylvania and Ohio, uh, all the way down the river to where Nancy's at in Portsmouth we're the only organization that does harm reduction
0: 250 miles of river wow. wow that's that's incredible and you know we're going to be linking to some some you know in the show notes to more about your organization and the MAT act and other things we've talked about i guess i just want to end by asking you all like What's next for River Valley Organizing? You know, what, what kinds of things are you going to be focused on? I mean, I think I know the answer to part of it because your dedication is just to the people and to being responsive and to caring for them. But also you want to find a way, I'm sure, of being part of the conversation to make sure that you can loose, you know, ease that burden a little bit. What, what's next? What kinds of things are you going to be focusing on the next couple of months? And also, I'd love to know how people can get involved and learn more about the organization.
1: Um, We're going to be focusing on voter registrations and um, going out into the east side and Farley Square and Wayne Hills and and all of these low income neighborhoods and focusing on the voting. Who do you want in office? What do you want to see? What do you need? Let's get our people in so we can build a better community. And stop the oppression and the suppression and and all of these things that are just here to make money. Let's let's love on some
0: people and let's give life. When you say get our people in, you mean people like you need candidates on record as supporting harm reduction and the kind of policies that can actually help people.
1: Yes, absolutely. Harm reduction, sex work, um, environmental, all of that. Human trafficking, all of that. We need all of that. It, it's just a part of the umbrella. You know, just like, just like Goog said, it, it starts, if, if your environment and your atmosphere is incorrect, then there's some things that's going to be out of whack. So it falls under that umbrella.
0: Yeah. Michael, what do you want
2: to add? Uh, yeah. If, uh, if everybody would just take a step back and take a breath and slow down and, you know, take a look at the world you know, you're, you're going to make the right decision on your vote. So we just need to uh, get the numbers out there. Uh, these next couple of months are going to be, we call it GOTV, get out the vote. Uh, most of our efforts are going to be just to inform people that they need to get registered and uh, get people registered and get out to the
0: booth. Well, Nancy, Michael, I, I guess I, aside from thanking you from, you know, for t- taking the time to have this conversation, I want to thank you for the work you do. This is uh this is incredibly difficult work, but you both exude this passion for the work. Your, your lives have led you to it, and you you take it on in this way that's just super impressive. I, I can't imagine where Ohio would be if we didn't have folks like you being willing to step up and do this. So you know, I want to thank you, and I'm sure our listeners are going to just love learning about the work you're doing because it's really inspiring. Thank you. We really appreciate you having us on your show. Thank you, Dan. This episode was hosted and produced by me, Dan Skinner. I received editorial and production support from Angela Lynn. The music was produced by Kyle Rosenberger. To learn more about Prognosis Ohio and to check out an archive of past episodes, including episodes that are nice counterparts to today's conversation, please visit our website at prognosisohio.com. Prognosis Ohio is a member of the WCBE Podcast Experience and the Health Podcast Network. We'll be back in your podcast feed with our reboot in just a few weeks. In the meantime, we wish you well and thanks for listening.